All right, great job by the kids. They nailed that, and thank you to Robin. Uh, as you might be able to imagine, a, a lot of work goes into being able to get those kids all on the same page. I know Robin enjoys it, but it's still a lot of work, so thank you to her for that. We are going to start today, sermon time, with a question. What is the most disciplined, I'm sorry, kids up through grade four can be dismissed to Children's Church. I was too busy complimenting the Children's Choir. Uh, so we're going to start today with a question. What is the most disappointed you have ever been? This is a question I asked myself this week as I studied the passage we are going to be looking at today. I had a hard time answering it's not that I've never been disappointed. I've been disappointed frequently in my life. I can remember cheering for sports teams that lost games that I thought they should have won. I have applied for jobs where the people doing the hiring decided another candidate was a better option. I remember a time specifically when my wife Anne and I were still just friends. I was driving to where she lived to ask her. I was about three hours, so I called her best friend on the way to kind of check in. And that friend told me that another guy had asked Anne out a couple of days before, and I was severely, severely disappointed. Although I did try to comfort myself. I said, don't worry, there are other fish in the sea. There's somebody else for you, and that worked out okay. In the story we are looking at today, we come across two men walking down a, a long road together who are incredibly disappointed. The thing that they hoped would happen didn't happen. The risen Jesus meets them on the road. He responds to their disappointment. From this interaction, we can learn a lot as we deal with with a world where disappointment is all too common. So if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 35. This is a longer section of scripture today. Luke invests a lot of time in telling us the story of these two men. I think it's time well spent. So that's page 831 if you're using the Pew Bible. The verses are also printed in your bulletin. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. That very day, <clears throat> two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers 
delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The men Jesus finds walking on the road to Emmaus in these verses are disappointed. When Jesus, who they are kept from recognizing, ask why, they explain. The chief priests and rulers had delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Jesus was someone they thought highly of. A man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. These men recognize that Jesus was exceptional. It is not surprising they would be grieving. We do the same thing when people that we have held in high regard die unexpectedly. Last year, when the former NBA star Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash, many people grieved. For Lakers fans... He was more than a man. They had seen him do superhuman things. A better comparison would probably be how many people felt when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He was someone people looked up to, taken out by the injustice of this world. He gave people in need of hope confidence that the world could be different. The two men in these verses are sad because for them, Jesus was a standard bearer for their hopes. They had seen him do superhuman things. They thought he was going to make the world a different place. He was the one to redeem Israel. 
His death means their world is going to continue to operate as it always has in their experience. The two men are disappointed that Jesus is dead, yes, but even more than that, they're disappointed that the world isn't changing in the way that they hoped it would. Life goes on as it did before. The Romans are still in charge. The Jewish leadership is unchanged. The men do not believe the reports that Jesus is, in fact, risen. They have been told. They were aware that the women who discovered Jesus' tomb, they were aware of what they came back saying. The confirmation by others the tomb was empty had been passed on to them. They still don't believe it. They can't embrace the reports they have received. They are unsure. The issue these guys have is that the way events have unfolded in the preceding days doesn't line up with their hopes. They had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Their vision of what this would look like was pretty specific. They wanted the Romans gone and true religion to be restored. Or maybe it wasn't all that specific. Maybe it just didn't include Jesus dying on a cross at the hands of the Jewish leadership and the Roman oppressors they despised. Either way, for them, nothing that is happening fits within their hopes. The reason they are talking is they're trying to figure out what has happened. They're trying to make sense of the preceding days on their walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was a distance of about seven miles. This is not a quick conversation. Their journey is also not a day trip. They are moving away from those who believe Jesus is risen. These men had just heard the claim Jesus had been resurrected shortly before. It seems like their response was to basically say, man, look at the time. We better be heading out. We have, we have business to do in Emmaus. They are distancing themselves from those who believe in Jesus. They had hoped in Jesus, past tense. Those hopes were dashed by the cross. A week ago, these men had been celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that fit within their hopes. A lot has changed in a week. While the events of the cross and the resurrection are not news to Christians in the same way today that they were for these men, we still have to deal with it when Jesus doesn't fulfill our hopes. This is one of the primary reasons that people walk away from Christianity, in fact. A hope is disappointed. The doctor comes in and communicates the diagnosis of a rare, painful 
an incurable disease. A son or a daughter causes unimaginable emotional pain. The famous pastor whose every word we hang on has a moral failing. The citizens of a nation watch as it collapses. There is no shortage of dashed hopes in our world. When we are disappointed, we tend to question Jesus. If he is truly God, then why am I sick? Why is my family or nation falling apart? Maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was. When Jesus doesn't fulfill our hopes, the issue is not with Jesus. The problem is with our hopes. They are a product of our limited perspective. In these verses, the two men are having a hard time adjusting to the fact Jesus didn't fulfill their hopes. He didn't do so, not because he couldn't, but because he had a better plan. The men's hopes were flawed. Our hopes are no less flawed. Our hope must be in the plan that God is working out through Jesus. Jesus says to the men, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. The hopes of these men make them foolish. They can't see what God is doing. All they can see is that their hopes have been frustrated. They're missing out on the amazing things that are happening right in front of them. Faulty hopes and foolishness go together like a horse and carriage. Every once in a while, I enjoy watching the TV show Shark Tank. I've, I've mentioned this before. In the show, entrepreneurs present their business ideas to a group of investors. These entrepreneurs, they hope they have the next great business idea. It frequently becomes apparent in the show just how foolish, faulty hope can make a person. The entrepreneur will overvalue their company exponentially. Or they will share they have taken out mountains of debt, borrowing money from friends and family. The investors who know more have to let the entrepreneurs know how foolish their hopes have made them. To avoid living as fools, our hope needs to be in God's plan Jesus is bringing to fruition. Throughout the Old Testament, God had given indication through his prophets of what his plan was. These two men, they are rejecting God's plan. Unintentionally, they are communicating with their words and actions that they know better than God. God's hope is infinitely better than any human hope. There's no certainty 
in human hope. Often there is not even a probability. I hope that the Boston Celtics will win the NBA championship this year. But I have no power to bring that about. And it is extremely unlikely that it'll happen. God's hopes happen. God's hope is a plan that Jesus is bringing about. Jesus asked the men, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is, yes, it was necessary. God had a plan that he had been bringing to fruition for a while. The crucifixion was necessary because it was part of God's plan. The plan God had made so long before was the best possible plan. Sometimes people will ask why Jesus had to be crucified. Was there not a better way? Apparently not. God doesn't just know what does happen or what will happen. He knows everything that possibly could happen. In his omniscience, God determined that the cross was the best way to do what he desired. It was hard for these two men in this moment to see the certain hope of God's all-knowing plan. We should be sympathetic to them. Jesus' death wouldn't have been easy to process. They're too close to the single, the single biggest series of events in human history to have the proper perspective. I heard a historian say recently that you really can't judge a presidency until about 20 years after, 20 years in the future. Because it takes that amount of time to understand how the policies of a particular presidency are affecting the nation. It's only been two days since the crucifixion. It's only been hours since the resurrection. These guys have a lot to figure out. Just as they struggled to see how Jesus' crucifixion fit with God's plan, we struggle to see how tragic events that happen in our world fit with Jesus' lordship in the present. When you speak to many Christians today, they talk like God has suddenly stopped being able to include the unfortunate outcomes of this world in his plan, like all of a sudden he no longer has a hold of the steering wheel. God planned for the cross but not for some event happening in society today. The grave was something he saw coming. But man, those layoffs that just got announced at work, no, he didn't see that. Our hope has to be in the plan of God. Jesus is enacting. Or we will inevitably be disappointed. The hope God gives in Jesus supersedes human hopes. Our hopes are too small. The two men walking down the road, 
They wanted Israel to be redeemed. They wanted a nation that could stand toe-to-toe with the Roman Empire and not back down. This sounds like an extraordinary hope. They thought it lined up with the truth of Scripture. God wants much more. He wants an Israel that includes people from every tribe and tongue. Not a nation that has the best war-making capacity, but a nation that is filled with shalom, the peace of God exhibited in every area of human life. What about us? What do we want? What do we hope for? It depends on what we don't have. We always think the things we don't have are the things we need. Financial security, confidence that tomorrow things will be better than they are today, a stable family, a new job would be nice. Those hopes are too small. They are focused on this world. This world and everything in it is passing away to align with what God is doing, our hopes need to be bigger. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. James, Jesus' younger brother, wrote in the book that bear his names, why our hope go, why our hopes go unfulfilled. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Not only are our hopes small, they are selfish. It is not that God doesn't care about the things we want. He just wants more for us. He wants us to have a greater hope. Jesus is the greater hope that God has for us. When the two men from the road have their eyes open so they can see who Jesus is, they are no longer disappointed. They walk the seven miles back to Jerusalem that very hour in the middle of the night. They realize God is doing a bigger work and they want to be a part of that. Our hope should be in the full realization of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing about. Through Jesus, we are made part of God's eternal kingdom. We are adopted into the covenant family. Through Jesus, we inhabit a living hope that God guarantees. Christian hope is not a vague possibility. It is a well-worked-out plan. We can live with confidence and assurance in Jesus, the hope of God. When I found out many years ago, another guy had beat me to asking out, and by mere days, I was disappointed. When I look back on that disappointment now, I wonder how things would have played out differently if Ann and I had gotten together sooner. Who knows for sure, but I think the delay between when I hoped for us to start dating And when we actually started dating, was good for us. 
it seems like my hope being disappointed has worked out pretty well 17 years into marriage with four sons. Christian hope transcends the short-term disappointments of this world. We hope in a risen Savior. Jesus is our hope. His purposes are bigger than we can conceive. Like the men in this story, we often fail to see what is happening around us. It can feel like Jesus is failing to accomplish God's plan. He is certainly not. The cross was necessary. There are many awful things that happen now that can lead us to think Jesus has failed. He has not. One day, we will see that God's way is the best way. Jesus is our certain hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that today we can be encouraged by the knowledge that Jesus is our certain hope. And there, there will be disappointments in this world. There will be frustration. But I pray that we would be able to keep those disappointments and frustrations in perspective in relation to the greater hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.